The Powers on Sports podcast is brought to you by TicketSmarter.com, Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and our real estate agent in the state of Florida, Star Alvarado. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. He's the run of the play. He is safe. Nice this is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. We've reached week four of the college football season, week three of the National Football League. Got about a week or so left in the Major League Baseball regular season. Playoffs right around the corner. We've got some good races we're going we're to highlight here in just a second on. We've had some uh, interesting officiating calls in the last uh, last week in the National Football League, and we've also had some uh, injury issues that are that are going to be uh, a major factor in some of the National Football League uh, teams moving forward. So, got a good show for you. Uh, we're going to talk to Brett McMurphy, the extraordinaire uh, college football insider from the Action Network. We're also going to talk to Matt Zemick, editor of USA Today's Trojan Wire. We're going to get it. Uh, Matt covers uh, the USC Trojans. We're going to talk to Matt about college football, the, the, the Pac 12 emergence this year, strength of the Pac 12. We've got a huge slate of college football games this weekend, much, much better schedule than we had last week. And we're also going to, uh, again, we're going to talk to Brett McMurphy as well about Deion Sanders and some other good topics around the college football world. So lots of uh, college football talk for you with Matt and Brett and before we get to those guys I'm going to give go down the go down the NFL docket a little bit recap last week give a little quick little uh, couple notes and nuggets about last week and upcoming this week uh, some information for you and hit on the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs let's, let's start with Major League Baseball playoffs while we're at it um, by the way I was in the building at Raymond James last week USF and Alabama and boy does Alabama have uh Finally, they've made the decision to go to Jalen Milrow per, semi-permanently moving forward. Milrow did not play in the game at USF. Uh, he was trying to play Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner. And boy, that was a massive problem. But give USF credit for keeping the game uh, in, in the balance late, late in the game. A massive rainstorm in the game. I've lived in Florida a long time. There's not been many rainstorms I've been through, sitting through that. Much worse than that. It was an absolute deluge for eight or ten minutes, um, but no lightning, but we still, the game was still uh, delayed for probably 45 minutes, so, um, but it was a fun event, shout out to PDK for coming down from Columbus, Ohio, uh, to see his tide, we had good seats, we sat literally in the front row of the end zone, um, uh, Raymond James actually caught a, uh, the kid next to me caught a, uh, caught a missed field goal in warm-ups, that was fun to see, and had some obnoxious USF fans uh, behind me, right behind me in the next row. They probably said the F-bomb. They probably dropped about 400 F-bombs during the game. 
which was a little rough to take after a while, especially when we had kids sitting around uh, around us on all sides. So down on the USF guys that were sitting behind me, just dropping F-bombs like it was a drink of water. Um, but we, the count is up to about 407 F-bombs uh, following the USF-Bama game. So, <clears throat> so there you go. Fun weekend. I just turned the big 5-0 on the calendar. So a uh, like Barry Switzer said, half a hundred now. So that was a, it was a fun weekend, having a little dinner with the family. Had a little uh, college football with my guy Dave on Saturday. Watched a little NFL on Sunday. So an all-around fun week, uh, fun weekend uh, celebrating the big 5-0 for yours truly. And also, this is a, a special episode this is episode number 200 of the Powers on Sports podcast. Never would have thought I would have got to 200 episodes, but we are here. So thank you for uh, for tuning in. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button on your uh, podcast platform. Check out the video interviews on the YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. All the video interviews from the last uh, countless episodes are there. Uh, and again, uh, appreciate you finding us. Tell a friend about the podcast. Uh, love to hear from you. At JPO Sports on Twitter is the uh, Twitter handle or X handle if you want to send us a comment or a note. Love to hear from you. So, uh, but again, appreciate it. Uh, 200 episode. Look forward to doing 200 more for you. And, uh, and very much enjoyed doing, doing this and uh, talking in the microphone. Remember, I also host the Florida Football Insiders podcast. So if you want to hear some state of Florida-specific college football talk, check that out on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast feed, but Florida Football Insiders podcast. And also, if you are uh, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, I also host the No Quarter Given podcast. Me and uh, Peter Blake host that every week. So if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, we, we do a in-depth uh, podcast just on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers called the No Quarter Given Podcast. So check that out. That That is out every week as well during the football season. So, all right, NFL notes as we get through before we get to Brett McMurphy and Matt Zemek. Terrible injury to Nick Chubb. If you saw it Monday night against the uh, Steelers, just a terrible, gruesome knee injury. Um, he's done for the year. NFL futures got to be in doubt to some degree. Second injury to that knee. If you remember when he was at Georgia, he had a he had another uh, really gruesome injury to the same knee. So um, we will see what the future of Nick Chubb is football wise. But if we don't see Nick Chubb play again, terrific running back. He had an awesome five or six year run. Um, so good for um, happy for Nick Chubb on the career. We will see what happens with Nick and his comeback. But just a devastating knee injury there. The uh, Browns signed Kareem Hunt, who they had who, who they had in the backfield the last couple of years, backing up Chubb. I would expect Hunt to be a factor pretty quick in Cleveland. Uh, Jerome Ford did a good job filling in for Chubb. We'll see if he can hold up to the pounding. Uh, but again, Kareem Hunt in Cleveland signed. So we'll see how. Uh, so fantasy wise, if you can get Kareem Hunt, I would get him, which I did. Um, but yeah. Nick Chubb out for the rest of the year. Joe Joe Burrow's calf injury flared up. I think this is going to be an ongoing problem for the Bengals. 0-2 Bengals. Um, More calf issues. Again, can you afford to sit him down for two or three weeks? I don't know about that because you're already 0-2, but we will see if Burrow can can muscle through and play. Uh, they got a tough schedule. They're in a tough division. 
I just got a feeling this is not going to be a good run for the Bengals as we move forward. Like I uh, issues with the Jets. Obviously, the Jets lose in Dallas. Zach Wilson did not play very good. I I said it last week, and I'll say it again. If the Vikings continue to struggle, one and four, two and five kind of start. If you're the New York Jets, you you've got to make a you've got to make a strong push to go get Kirk Cousins. He's in the last year of his deal. Um, no mo- no more guaranteed money. You can still keep Aaron Rodgers for next year. But if the if the Vikings fall out of favor here quickly at one and four, or so you definitely make a, a call to the to the uh, to go get Kirk Cousins from Minnesota, give up, give up a third round pick, something like that. To do that, you absorb the rest of his contract for the year. The Vikings, there are lots of speculation that they are not going to re-sign Kirk Cousins anyway. So uh, it will be a situation he can be had. Uh, and again, you still have a very good team around the Jets, other than the quarterback spot. That if you can somehow get to two and three or two and four through six games, you'll be you'll be in a position where you can win a bunch of games late if you have a competent quarterback. But Zach Wilson's not going to lead that team to the playoffs. Uh, Kirk Cousins is the name that you need to go get. Uh, and I said it before. Uh, uh, the the Vikings lost last week in Philadelphia, and again, if the Vikings get off to a one and four, two and five kind of start, Kirk Cousins is the name to look out for in New York. Um, officiating calls in the NFL last week. A lot of, there was I, again. I don't like to bang on the officials, as you guys know. I referee high school football down here. I'm a big supporter of the officials. Usually, but boy, there were two. Um, game ending and not 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 get, plays in the third quarter the fourth quarter there were two game ending calls that were not made on the last play of the game that decided the game that I, that, that just had to be called you had the pass interference in Denver on the two point conversion after Denver threw a hail mary to get within two and then you had the in Seattle the Den, the Detroit Seattle game on the last play of overtime in which Seattle scored a touchdown, which remember a touchdown ends the game and doesn't give Detroit an opportunity to get the ball, a brutal hold by the right tackle on Aiden Hutchinson, which allowed Geno Smith to roll out to the right and hit Lockett, who then scored in overtime. Just a, a have-to-call holding call in Detroit that, that wasn't called. Uh, Detroit or Seattle wins the game on the on the touchdown. If you call the holding and they kick a field goal, at least Detroit gets an opportunity. But a bad miss there, and then you had it wasn't as as egregious because it wasn't a game ending play. But in Cleveland or in Pittsburgh Monday night on the fourth down play down the sideline, Joey Porter clearly had a hold of uh, the receiver, um, which would have allowed Cleveland to keep the drive alive. But but no call there. But the two calls that were really bad were the Detroit and Seattle call that are calls that just have to be made. You can't allow games to end on those calls, uh, those non-calls. So uh, down on the officiating last week in the National Football League. But again, for the most part, they do a really good job. Usually they, uh, I'm, I'm shocked that they missed those two calls and, and passed on them, but they did. Um, so there you have it. All right, a couple baseball notes and we'll get to, uh, and, and we'll get to my picks. Um, Rays get a new stadium in St. Pete. Wasn't a perfect deal, but it's the best deal they could get to stay in the in the Tampa Bay market. I give Stu Sternberg credit. Uh, he's paying for half the stadium himself, about a $1.3 billion project. Um, they're building a stadium. They're building a bunch of retail. They're building condos. I don't know what the financial element is as far as how Sternberg is related to the retail and the, and the condo stuff around the stadium. 
But uh, Stormbrook's paying about $600 million. The city of St. Pete and Pinellas County are splitting the rest of the other $700 million as far as to finance the stadium. Um, again, I give Stormbrook credit because he kept the team in, in the Tampa Bay area. He, he probably could have gone to Nashville, Montreal, somewhere at Salt Lake City and gotten a better deal as far as less out-of-pocket expense to him. Um, but the Rays are staying in, in St. Pete. The stadium's going to be right next to where the current uh, Tropicana Field is, if you've ever been. Uh, it's about going to be about 30000 and it's supposed to open, I believe, in 2027, 2028, something like that, when the lease at the Trop expires. I would assume they're going to tear down at the Trop, but we will see and use that for parking and other stuff. But, uh, but yeah, the Rays get a stadium staying in Tampa, St. Pete. So good for them, good for uh, the, the, the community here to keep the team. Baseball playoffs, about 10, 10 days to go. You still got battles in the AL West, Houston, Seattle, Texas. That'll be interesting to see how that works. And in the NL wild card, you got Miami, Chicago, and Cincinnati are all in the neck. In a, in a, uh, we'll, we'll go down to the last day of the season. Remember, there are no game 163s. If the, game, if the teams tie at the end of the re- regular season, they will utilize who has won the season series to determine the winners of both the division and the wild card scenario. So there will be no uh, extra uh, one-game playoffs. And then you have, you'll have you have the uh, uh, wild card series and all that stuff. Be interesting to see how the Braves handle the next uh, week or so as far as, remember, they're going to have probably a week off. And you're also going to have in the American League, you're going to have probably the Baltimore-Tampa Bay winner, which most likely is going to be Baltimore at this point. It's going to have several days off before their division series starts. So be a pretty interesting last uh, seven, eight, ten days of the regular season in Major League Baseball, and then we'll have the uh, playoffs will be shortly thereafter. So um, hopefully, the and again, the Rays will most likely be the wild card unless Baltimore really collapses the last seven, eight days. And so we will see how the playoffs matchups unfold. And we will definitely have Chris Perez on, uh, our baseball guy, former Major League closer. He'll, we'll have him on previewing the baseball playoffs. Uh, not next week, but the week after as the playoffs get underway. So, uh, And we'll also probably get uh, Steve Carney uh, to, to chime in about the Rays Stadium deal and, and also the playoffs as well. So, all right, Powers picks for the week. Uh, I got, I'm going to give you four picks this week. There's four games that I really like that I'm going to give you. Um, <clears throat> I like Florida State, minus the one and a half or two, going to Clemson, to Death Valley, to beat uh, Clemson. So give me Florida State, minus the one and a half. I like Notre Dame Saturday night at home against Ohio State getting three and a half. I think they're going to win the game outright. First time in about 30 years, Ohio State has gone to Notre Dame to play. I like Notre Dame. I like Hartman at quarterback. Uh, Still not sold on the uh, Ohio State quarterback situation. They do have, obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr., good defense. But give me the Irish, because remember, David Precise and company, the Irish have material. In honor of one Beano Cook. Material. The Irish have material. Give me Notre Dame plus three and a half Saturday night in South Bend. Um, I also like Texas A&M minus seven and a half against Auburn. I don't think Auburn's not ready for prime time yet in the SEC on the road in College Station. Surprise, this is only a seven point number. I like seven and a half. Oh, and Texas A&M laying the seven and a half at home. Connor Wegman desperate game for AM that can't you cannot lose this game to Auburn. So give me a give me AM minus seven and a half at home against Auburn, who's not quite ready for primetime yet. In the pros, uh I will take Cleveland laying the three. I think the emotion of the Nick Chubb situation. 
I think coming off a tough loss on Monday night in Pittsburgh, I like Cleveland at home, minus the three against Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee won an overtime game. Don't love Tannehill. Don't love that whole Tennessee situation. So give me Cleveland at home, minus the three. Big defense in Cleveland this year with, with Garrett, Del Pitt, and Jim Schwartz running the defense. So I like Cleveland, minus the three at home against Tennessee. So there are your power picks. We're going to be up with Matt Zemick and Brett McMurphy coming up here. We're talking college football, lots of college football all over the uh, the country. So enjoy the chats, and we'll see you soon in just a minute or so on the Powers on Sports podcast. If you are Hit that subscribe, rate, and review button on your podcast platform and at JPO Sports on Twitter. And now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to purchase your first time home, relocate to the state of Florida, or just purchase that second home or investment property? Well, if so, Titan Home Lending can help you get financing for that new home purchase. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404, and I can help you get pre-approved in less than one day. A pre-approval is critical in order to make that offer on your home. You want to know how much of a home you can make an offer on, and getting a pre-approval will allow you to do that. From an FHA, VA, conventional loan, jumbo loan, bank statement loans, there are numerous loan options out there to help you get into your house of your dreams. You can also renovate. You can do a renovation loan, which will allow you to make home improvements and finance the costs into the loan. So reach out to Titan Home Lending anywhere in the state of Florida for your next home purchase. 205-790-1404. All right, welcome in to the Powers on Sports and Florida Football Insiders podcast simulcast interview. We got a great pleasure this week. We're going to be talking to a preeminent source of college information around the country, College Football Insider from the Action Network, one Brett McMurphy. Brett is a uh here based here in the Tampa Bay area in my in my neck of the woods and Brett is the again preeminent insider on the world of college football. So welcome in Brett Hey, good, good to talk to you, Jason. Thanks, buddy. You got it. You got it. I know it's been a uh, – last week was a week when we all thought it was going to be kind of a lackluster week, and it turned out to be a pretty good week of college football. We had a lot of uh, games that we thought were going to be mismatches that turned out to be really good games. We had Florida State pushed. We had Alabama pushed. Texas was pushed. Georgia was pushed. So just give me a thought about last week's uh, slate there and uh, your thoughts of, again, uh, the games we thought weren't going to be very good games turned out to be some pretty good football. Yeah, usually it seems like when we have a bad schedule, everyone kind of poo-poos it. And then, you know, 24 hours later, uh, you look back and say, wow, we had some really good games. I think that's another example. Um, I think one thing with the with maybe the transfer portal and people being able to revamp the roster so quickly, um, you know, these games where teams are supposedly huge prohibitive favorites, uh, if they don't show up, they could be in danger. And certainly saw a number of examples of that, um, you know, around the country. So, uh, you know, again, you know, we only have, uh, you know, 14, 15 weeks of this stuff. So I, I really never think there's a bad week anyway. Do you think it's a, do you think it's a sign that there's not a dominance? I mean, I, I think the, per, the prevailing thought has maybe been the last 
week or so. Maybe there's not a dominant team. We Obviously, we all think Georgia and Texas are really good, but maybe not dominant kind of good. Is that your sense of three weeks of action that there maybe isn't a handful of teams that are going to be dominant this year? Uh, what's funny, I actually think probably Georgia would – well, Georgia obviously is the favorite to win it. Um, I don't have them ranked number one on my AP ballot right now because my ballot is a snapshot of what has happened through the season. It's not how I project them out the entire year. Uh, I don't. We don't know anything about Georgia. They haven't played anybody. I right. mean, South Carolina tested them a little bit. The second half, they look like potentially the best team in the country. The first half, they look like a top 20 team. And there's about 40 teams that look like top 20 team. So, yeah, I think the people that are tired of the – the Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Clemson playoff every year. I think you're going to have a little different uh, variance this year in the playoff. So that makes it exciting. You know, Clemson's, you know, cliche time. Backs are against the wall this week against Florida State. This is an elimination game for Clemson. Um, are they out? Alabama has to win out or they're, or they're out of the playoff. So, um, you know, I, I kind of agree a little bit with you that I, I don't – I think it's more wide open – at least it appears like right now, but at the end of the day, we still may end up with two or three of the same usual suspects, including, you know, Michigan and those guys. You mentioned the Alabama game. I was at the Alabama USF game Saturday here in Tampa. Obviously uh, we saw the score. And if you're people around the country, uh, you know, ended up 17, three and USF was very much in that game, very late into that game. Um, just give me a sense and what you're hearing over the weekend about the about the Alabama quarterback situation and you know they no nobody they went to looked very good in that game and the offensive line was a really really much of a problem especially in pass protection. What sense are you getting about the whole just the Alabama quarterback situation? Yeah, that that was um that was a, a weird deal. It was almost like you know Saban knew that they were you know they should win the game they were nearly five touchdown favorites nothing against usf but and so because of that they're like okay we're not going to play milrow yeah we're going to see what we have with these other two guys and then you know we've got old miss this week and the rest of the sec schedule and so i think basically that that was the plan and so now we'll have to see you know they, he said after the game he's going to evaluate all the quarterbacks now going forward with old miss um you know, USF put up a great fight. You know, they 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 took Bama a lot deeper into this game than, yep. than I'm sure Saban ever imagined. Uh, you know, and now people are wondering about is Alabama, is the dominance of Alabama over? Uh, you know, the, at least in the short term, people think that. The line for the Ole Miss-Alabama game opened up, I think, around seven or eight. I, I, last I saw – on Monday, I think it's down to six. Right. Um, so we'll have to see. But the one thing that's that's been constant every year and saving 17 years is once you start doubting Alabama, that's usually when you're in trouble. So, But this will be the ultimate test because they do look a lot more – let's say they look a lot more um, mortal than, than they have in past years. No, I mean, the defense was still pretty, really good. But, man, the offensive, whether it's play calling, creativity, lack of skill guys. But I'm with you. I think I think Milrow's got to be the guy they go back to because I just didn't see anything out of Simpson and Buckner that, that made you think in a, in a big spot, in a big moment that they could deliver in the passing game. And at least Milrow run, athletically was good enough and 
he could throw a decent deep ball and stuff. I just, I, well, I didn't see anything out of Buckner and Simpson to, to show me that they could be the guy moving forward. So I do think Milrow will be the guy moving forward. Uh, and, and you're right. It was very surprising that he didn't get any touches or any action in that game on Saturday. So give me a thought on, give me a thought on the, on the Dion phenomenon out West. Obviously Colorado wins a thriller Saturday night in double overtime against Colorado state. It was a, a very entertaining game. If you didn't see that at the end of that game, Travis Hunter gets injured. Their 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 two way dual star cornerback wide receiver. He sounds like he's going to be out for a period of weeks, multiple games. Obviously, Colorado has at Oregon and USC coming up in the next couple of weeks. Just give me the uh, the the give me the give me the the scuttlebutt that you hear behind the scenes from coaches around the country about the impact of Dion out west at Colorado. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been remarkable. I mean this is a team that that you know Vegas projected. Their win total was three and a half. They need one more win to go over that number. Um, so they've done a remarkable job. Um, you know, so I watched all of Saturday's game with pretty much most of America. Colorado State blew it. They had the game. Um, yes. I'm sure, you know, I know Jay Norvell. I haven't reached out to him yet. I probably will this later this week. Um, I talked to him a little bit before the game, uh, leading up to the game. And I, if I could give him free serum, and I may not even need to, I think, you know, late in the game when they had that fourth and two, um, he probably would have went for it instead right. of punting. You know, right. they did, they had a great punt. They pinned him on the two. Um, but, you know, with the clock stopping and all that, that's that's irrelevant these days. First down would have ended it. And the other thing I would have asked him is, you know, would you have gone for two in that first overtime? Yes. Colorado scored, go up seven. They scored, um, you know, because every touchdown after that, you got to go for two. So why not use your best two-point play right now and see what happens. Obviously, it's easy to to do that, but yeah, Colorado State outgained Colorado. They gave them a lot of a lot of problems. There are obviously you know a billion penalties, um, but as far as Colorado, they've they've done outstanding. I, I, you know, I hate to be the you know the wet blanket, but I'm just you know, if it's raining, I tell you if it's rain, it's raining. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you the sun's out. So as great as Colorado is, what what has blown me away is you see all these various reports that there's more money on Colorado to win the national title than in any other school. There's more money on, on uh, Hunter and Sanders to win the, win the Heisman than any other player. Look, Jason, if you'll give him my address, I will book every one of those bets because I know Colorado is an unbelievable story, but they're not going to win the national championship. And those guys won't win the Heisman and it's nothing against those guys, but that's right. just the reality. I mean, they're they're sitting here at three and zero, and you look at the rest of their schedule; they will be favored in maybe one or two of their games. Right. So they they potentially could go four and eight. They could go three and nine. They could go five and seven. We we don't know. They I've got them currently in my bowl projections. Um, maybe they get to six. I don't know if they can get to six. But again, I, I'm. That's just the long-term outlook of Colorado, but certainly Dion's done a remarkable job there. He has turned things around. You know, he's made history. They've never had, you know, um, Fox's big noon kickoff go to consecutive sites. You right. know, I, th I thought they were just going to have start having their mail delivered there. They're <laughs> there so much, you know, game days there for a, for a, you know, game against, a G5 school, which they never do in the past or rarely right. do. So, 
um, yeah, we have to see what happens going forward. And, you know, for, um, for USF fans, it's probably got to be a bitter pill because, you know, he, he interviewed with USF and, um, was in the mix there, but ultimately, um, from what I was told, basically, um, he used USF to get a bigger deal at Colorado, but my gosh, if, if he would, if Colorado never would have entered the picture right? and he would have ended up at USF, just, just think, and this is not a shot at Alex by any means, but just the, the amount of tension that you, the USF program would be getting now. Has Dion's philosophy of going into the portal and basically overhauling the entire roster, has that part of his, his, his start at Colorado trickled through the college football coaching world, especially, you know, you've heard some rumblings of why isn't Nick Saban and guys like Dabo Sweeney utilize the transfer portal more. Has that philosophy, do you think, trickled through the, the coaching world a little bit more than, than you thought it might have? Well, I think, I mean, everybody pretty much except for Dabo, you know, has been pretty aggressive in the transfer portal. Now Dion took it to another level. Like he, he basically, you know, um, scorched earth and got rid of, you know, 80% of his roster. Right. The other, the other schools don't feel the need to do that. They don't feel like they're at such a disadvantage um, roster wise where they need to wipe out three fourths of their, of their team and bring in new players. But certainly, you know, you're, you're going to look around and teams are going to make additions through the portal where they need to. So I, I think, you know, maybe uh, Texas state's another example. They, they almost cleared house with the new coach. They've seen a drastic improvement. So I think teams that are basically, um, I think it's probably more likely at the, at the group of five level, or maybe it's some power fives that, you know, have been struggling for a number of years and need to need to just kind of hit the reset button. I think you'll see a Dion like transfer portal uh, situation, but I, the, you know, the big boys, the Alabamas, the Clemson's, et cetera, they're not going to, they're not going to, cl- you know, clear out three fourths of the roster to bring in new guys. And you look at somebody that's done it very, very well at the, at the uh, power five level who I have projected as one of my four playoff teams is Florida state. Yep. I mean, Mike Norvell arguably has had the best off season as far as the transfer portal with bringing, you know, Keon Coleman, a wide receiver and others, Um, you know, He's made specific additions at specific positions where they were weak, and he has bolstered that roster. And, again, we'll find out Saturday if they're legit or not. They certainly looked the part against LSU. Um, so I think, Jason, I think you'll see it more, more on an individual basis than basically a you know free-for-all kind of like Dion did. All right, we're on the Florida Football Insiders and Powers on Sports Simulcast podcast. We're talking to Brett McMurphy. Uh, college football preeminent insider at the Action Network. You can find Brett on tw- on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days at Brett underscore McMurphy. He does awesome work on those on that uh, platform as far as breaking information, rankings, uh, insider stuff that he that he hears from all around the country. Let's let's stay in the state of Florida. Was Saturday a signature win for Billy Napier, or is it just maybe a sign that Tennessee's kind of a little bit not not what we thought they potentially could be yeah i think a little bit of both i mean you know even with the past history success of florida against tennessee you know they haven't they haven't won there since tennessee had won there since 2003 when uh, it's funny napier was a napier was a grad assistant at clemson and um 
and Heupel was a grad assistant at Oklahoma. That's how long ago it was that Tennessee won in, in Gainesville. But no, I mean, that look, Tennessee's still a top 25, possibly top 20 team. Right. Once they, if, if Milton, if, the, this was the whole thing going into the season. If Milton could harness, you know, that arm and be more accurate, Tennessee would be, you know, legit contender uh, in the SEC. And if not, then you're going to see kind of the results you saw against Florida where he's getting hit and he's throwing up arm punts that are easy interceptions. Um, but no, that was, that was huge for Florida. I mean, Billy Napier's had an unbelievable stretch, um, not only at Florida, but at Louisiana as an underdog. So, you know, you guys are into those things. Next time Florida is an underdog, you may want to look at, at the Gators again, but that, that I don't want to say it's a must win, but that's not fair, but, Certainly, that's significant enough for for Florida. I I think they're going to get to to six wins. I think they're going to get to a bowl game. Um, you know, maybe they can do a little bit more damage after this win because you know as much as they did defensively against Tennessee, they also with ETN they also showed um, the ability to run the ball, control the ball, and I think that that bodes well f- for the Gators long term. Through three weeks, um, give me a couple of teams that are that that on that are on your radar that maybe aren't on the national fans' radar that you really think maybe they're maybe they're, maybe they're ranked between ten and twenty five or fifteen to twenty five or maybe unranked that you really think man this is a really good these are really good couple really good teams that if the thing they get a couple breaks they could make a run in there maybe a team out west in the Pac twelve maybe a team in the Big Ten give me a team or two that that you think is a little bit undervalued through three weeks. Yeah, I would say right now I'm, you know, I'm looking at this week's AP poll. Um, you know, Oregon's at 13. I've got Oregon. I've got Oregon number eight. I think they're vast. You know, at 13, they're vastly underrated. They play Colorado this week. I think, you know, Colorado comes comes down to earth this week. Um, I think Oregon somebody, and then Oregon State. You know, they're they're ranked 16th in the AP poll. I've got Oregon State at at 11. Um, people don't know much about Oregon State. Uh, it's unfortunate with conference realignment. You know, they're they're in a bad situation. I think Jonathan Smith, I don't think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. I think he's the most underrated coach in the country. And anybody that saw the Vegas Bowl last year, yep. they just basically seal-clubbed Florida. And uh, I saw him in May in Arizona at some Pac-12 meetings, and I went up to him, and I'm like, how could you do that? How could you do that? And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And I go, the audacity of, of you doing that, I don't understand it. He goes, Brett, what are you talking about? I said, how could you let Florida kick that last second field goal? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he had a good laugh about that. But you look, I think they're really good. And that's what's unfortunate with, um, you know, the, the situation with the Pac-12 is you, you have eight teams right now that are ranked in the top 25. That is absolutely crazy. 75% of your membership at least for this year, is in the top 25. Now, when we get to the end of the year, you know, they're going to beat each other up. Some of those guys are going to move out. Um, but I think Oregon's really good. I know, you know, you said somebody in the 10 to 20 range, but I think, you know, Washington's up there yeah. um, sniffing around the top. But they're at number eight in the poll. I've got them at number five. I guess I'm, I must be overranking every Pac-12 team because that's how good I really think they are. Um USC's at five. I've got them down at seven. I think they've got issues defensively. That's why I don't have them higher. But Michael Penix, you're talking about, you know, 
your Florida podcast, people Tampa may or kid. may not remember this. Tampa, kid. Tampa Bay Tech. Yeah, Tampa Bay Tech recruited by Tom Allen, who used to coach at Temple Heights, right. which no longer exists anymore. And he got him to Indiana, and now he's at Washington. If Washington runs a table, you know, they've got to get through the Pac-12. I think you'll see him in New York uh, for the college football – or, excuse me, for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So, um, if the, the bottom line is, with the, so many good teams out there in the, uh, in the Pac-12, you know, one of those guys has to get through, to, through the first week of December with only one loss. If they do, they'll be in the playoff. Um, I'm afraid, though, they're probably going to beat each other up, and I don't know if anybody can survive that with uh, with less than two losses. And I didn't even mention Utah or UCLA. I mean, that, that conference is just so stacked right now. No, you make a great point about the Pac-12. They're going to probably cannibalize themselves, and you just hope for the sport that one of these teams can get out of there with one loss because it would be good to see – because, again, the Pac-12 hasn't been in the playoff in, in so long. Uh, it would be good, be good for the conference as the conference does come to an end. Couple more things. We'll get you out of here. Got a huge slate of games this week. We had a monster schedule. You got you mentioned obviously Alabama, Ole Miss. You got Colorado, Oregon, Florida State, Clemson, and then probably the the showdown up in South Bend. You got the Irish and the Buckeyes. Give me a note or two about each of the you know one of those games that you really think is 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 is, is going to be interesting as we get to obviously Ohio State has not been to 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 South Bend in many many years. What do you think of that? Give me a thought on that game. Well, I mean, it's basically, you know, all the games you mentioned were, you know, until we get to the 12-team playoff next year, and that can't come soon enough. Um, these are these are people say they want an expanded playoff. Well, this week, this week yep. is your expanded playoff. Yeah. These are all these are all quarterfinal games because the loser um is all for all intents and purposes is eliminated unless they run the table the rest of the way. Not saying they can't do that, but um it's it's going to be very unlikely and so um you know specifically you know ohio state is kind of uh an analogy i saw which i kind of liked is you know up to this point it's kind of just played with this played with its food um we don't really know how good they are right and notre dame with you know nc state's a quality opponent but before that you know navy is has some issues um you know they played a a uh, fcs after that we don't know how good Notre Dame is. And, right. you know, Notre Dame wants to get in the mention for the playoff for a, or a New Year's Six game. Um, you know, they need to win this game. They also have USC um, later on. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see. Sam Hartman, people didn't see him play at Wake. He's at Notre Dame now. He's one of the one of the top quarterbacks out there. He's an unbelievable talent. But, you know, is Ohio State just too, too talented for – for Notre Dame, we'll have to find out. But you know, for for local people here, if you um, you know follow my bowl projections at all, I've I've been putting Notre Dame in the ReliaQuest Bowl, and the ReliaQuest Bowl does not have any tie-in to the ACC, which Notre Dame's considered a part of, even though they're not a member. But there is a clause in there that if a Big Ten team goes to the Orange Bowl, then the ReliaQuest can get the first pick from the ACC. So yeah. if you want to see Notre Dame and Tampa, then you need to root for Ohio State to to knock Notre Dame down a peg and get them some losses. And you need the Big Ten, to, you know, trio of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State to keep winning. So one of those guys goes to the Orange Bowl. But if if um, 
if Notre Dame can win this game, then they are they are legit. Um, great spot. They got a great. They spot. are legit contender. Yeah, I've got them. I think ten on my AP ballot. Um, and uh, we just, you know, again, it's so early in the year, we don't know much about a lot of these schools. But with all the, you know, six or seven top twenty-five matchup this this week, I think we'll we'll get a good read on a lot of these guys. And then Clemson, Florida State, obviously it's an elimination game for Clemson. If they lose a second time, they're in big, as far as a playoff berth, probably out. Florida State showed a little chink in the armor at Boston College over the weekend. Is this a spot? Is this a good spot for, for Clemson to potentially pull the upset? Well, it's it's basically do or die for Clemson. Um, you know, Dabo's going to play it up this week that, you know, nobody's, nobody's given little old Clemson a shot and no one thinks we can win and, you know, they'll feed into all that um for florida state it's it's simple you know they knew they knew coming into the season that they basically um uh, not that they really had a, a three-game schedule but they knew they had clemson excuse me they had lsu at clemson and then miami um and right. then the and obviously florida <clears throat> so this is part two of that three-part uh three-part big games for Florida State. And if they are if they are going to get over the hump and finally become a national contender again, um, you know, going back to the days when Jameis was there, they absolutely have to win this game. The good news for Florida State is even if they lose this game and then win out and then, you know, win the ACC at at uh, 12 and 1, I think they would I think they would be in good shape as far as the playoff because I think that L, that LSU win is going to carry a lot of a lot of cachet uh, down, you know, as we get deeper into the season, as long as LSU continues to win. We saw what LSU did to Mississippi State last week. So LSU looks like they are legit. But for Florida State, this is more a, okay, if you want to prove that you guys have really taken that next step, right? you have to go in right. and you have to beat the team that's generally regarded as the best team year after year in the ACC, although maybe that hasn't happened in the past year or two, but historically you got to, you got to, you got to kill the champion. If you're going to, if you're going to take over, take over that role. So that's going to be a, you know, monster, that's monster game to kick off our Saturday at noon. You can't, can't wait to see it. No, that's, that's, that's a great point. And uh, last point, I'll get you out of here. Give me a thought on Miami. Obviously Cristobal with a big win against A&M. Uh, especially obviously here in the state of Florida, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of optimism. You, you mentioned the, the potential sh- Miami could come into that game undefeated and against Florida state in, in about a month or so, Florida state could be in that game. Is that a potential? Do you like what Mario's doing down, down South? Yeah. I mean, they've, they've, you talked about the transfer portal. They brought in some offensive linemen and the big difference for Miami this year is their offensive line is given Tyler Van Dyke time to actually throw the ball. And, you know, that was a, that wasn't a fluke win against Texas A&M. Uh, they, they just, they beat him. They beat him bad. And, you know, you can, we can joke about, you know, Texas A&M and their issues on offense and Petrino coming in and taking over and what's going to happen there. But defensively, A&M has always been really, really, really good there. Yep. And for Miami to almost put up half a hundred, that was so, so impressive. And, um, you know, again, they've taken they've taken uh, advantage of the transfer portal. The biggest thing for them is their their yards per play against my uh, excuse me against AM was the best that they've had in a game against a power five opponent in something like 10 years. Wow. So 
you know, they're just being more explosive on offense. Um, you know, they've got, you know, they at Temple, Georgia Tech, they should be fine there. And then they get, uh, you know, consecutive weeks in mid-October at North Carolina, who they're going to put up a ton of points. Yep. And Clemson at home the following week, um, that would be huge. And if they can survive that, then, wow, the showdown in November at Florida State, it'll, it'll right. be like the 1980s, um, you know. Just waiting to see who misses a field goal at the buzzer, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that would that would be great for the state and also nationally for people that you know, because this, quite frankly, that you know, people that have grown up around here that know the history of Florida State Miami, we know what that rivalry is and what it's about. But for for younger folks, they probably have no clue what it's like, and so that would be really cool if uh, if both Miami and Florida State came into that game, um, you know, top top 15 or even top 10 in the country, that would be, that would be unbelievable. Well, Brett McMurphy, I really appreciate the time. Again, follow Brett's work on Twitter and X at Brett underscore McMurphy. Brett is the uh, college football insider with the action network breaks all huge stories all year long. He's very dialed in as far as the realignment talk of what's going on as far as moving forward. And again, all these uh, week to week, man, Brett is the uh, ultimate insider or in the college football world. So Brett, I really appreciate the time. Hey, thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. You got it. We'll be right back. Well, the fall football season and fall sports calendar is finally here. And there's no better place to buy your tickets, whether it's for the NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, or any sporting event in between in the, in the fall months of August through December, then TicketSmarter.com. TicketSmarter is your secondary marketplace to go for all of your sports ticket needs, whether it's NHL coming up, Major League Baseball, college football, your favorite NFL team, whatever it is, TicketSmarter.com is the place to go. And for your first-time purchase, you will get $10 off your first $100 order. All you have to do is use the code POWERS10. Again, go to TicketSmarter.com and use the code POWERS10 to enjoy $10 off your first order of $100 or more. That's TicketSmarter.com for all of your ticket needs this fall. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813 813- Five three eight nine five seven two. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs. Corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back, Powers on Sports Podcast. Now we are going to focus our attention on probably the best conference in college football through three weeks, eight teams in the top 25. You got storylines all over the West Coast from Dion to Caleb Williams to Utah up in the Pacific Northwest with 
Washington State and Oregon State, and no better person to talk all things Pac-12 as well as college football in general than my guy Matt Zemick from out in Phoenix. He uh, is the editor of USA Today's Trojan Wire. His focus is on USC uh, football and athletics, but he but he covers all things Pac-12 and college football. So, Mr. Zemick, welcome back, my man. Always great to be on your show, Jason. All right, let's start with the uh, the storyline of all storylines out your way. Let's talk Dion out in Colorado. They escape when the with the game at Colorado State over the weekend. A little bit of controversy. You had a, the late hit on the, the you know, kind of the, the late hit that's being deemed a dirty play by uh, Colorado State against Travis Hunter, who's going to be out several weeks. And then you have a play that I think has kind of got underplayed a little bit. Shador Sanders pokes the guy in the eye for Colorado State, and I've not heard a lot of spec talk about that. And to me, that's just as dirty as what allegedly the Colorado State guy did to, to Travis Hunter. Your thoughts just on the whole Dion phenomenon out your way and kind of more specifically in, in that game in general as Colorado moves to 3-0? Well, you know, everyone wants a piece of Dion, And it's, I mean, like we know that he's a – megawatt figure and like he 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 increases the electricity in the room when he's there and you know, like he'll say quotable things but you know as much as we all know that on a general level it's still really surprising to me how much this thing has taken off and obviously going three and oh has helped but well you know let's dial it back a little bit like tcu wasn't supposed to be particularly great now i mean i thought tcu would win that game comfortably but like TCU looked really bad and TCU seems to have a lot of problems uh, going forward in, in the big 12. And then of course, Nebraska, like what an absolute disaster. What a smoking crater at quarterback with Jeff Sims. You'd think yeah. Matt rule could get a better quarterback in the portal. Ne- Nebraska's QB situation is abysmal. So like in of course, Colorado was favored going into that game during the week. Now, of course, in early August, when, you know, the preseason lines were out, you know, Nebraska was an eight and a half point favorite. But of course, that all changed to week one. Like we, we knew that. So, you know, it, it, it was surprising that Colorado went two and oh relative to preseason expectations. But most people were thinking Colorado was going to beat Nebraska when game week arrived. Uh, so in many ways, just the TCU game was really surprising. And then this Colorado State game, this is what we thought Colorado was going to look like before the season began in July and August, this is what we thought it was going to be like for, for Colorado. Cause you saw the lack of strength up front. Colorado state was able to manage this game up front. Colorado, not able to run the ball against a mountain West uh, defensive line. And, uh, and Shadur Sanders was pretty ordinary for most of this game. Like he was right. just immediately dumping everything off. He wasn't looking down the field. Uh, you know, no, just no thought of, you know, trying to buy time. He didn't start scrambling. He didn't start using his legs until the fourth quarter when Colorado was down 11 points. So like only when things got desperate, did he finally do that? And like that should have been there earlier in the game. And we sometimes see this where you're locked into one mode or one way of doing things. And then only when things get really serious, fourth quarter trailing by two scores, do teams uh, finally get a, a little bit of urgency like I think a lot of teams with struggling offenses, whether in general or just because of early season rust, they should be going with no huddle all the time. You know, how many times do we see this? You go to no huddle and what was a sputtering offense suddenly comes alive, partly because the players are no longer thinking. They're just automatically, you know, just 
snap yeah. the ball, play, you know, just play ball, just turn off the, the voices in your head, just go out and play, do what you naturally do. You know, when you stop thinking and also when you don't give the defense a chance to set up, you know, great things can happen. So, you know, doing the no huddle offense in the fourth quarter that shook things loose for Colorado and that's when Shadur Sanders finally started playing up to his capabilities and was brilliant on that final 98 yard uh, tying drive late in regulation and then Sean Lewis who really had you know Deion Sanders is you know gets credit and he deserves it for what he's doing at Colorado but like he has to hire the right people around him right. much like Dabo at Clemson you know he hired Chad Morris and he hired Brent Venables you know, if he doesn't make those hires, Clemson doesn't get off the ground and become the dynasty that it did in the, in the middle of the past decade. So Dion, by hiring Sean Lewis from Kent State, like that was a coup. That was a real great hire. It's paying yeah. dividends. You saw in the tying two-point play, just great play design, you know, stretching Colorado State wide and then sneak getting the tight end and the seam up the middle, yeah. just, you know, pulling the defense apart and then finding an opening just great play design on that two-point conversion. But, you know, so stepping back, like Colorado State, before the season, Colorado State figured to be the game, the first of the three that Colorado was going to win, and that, that turned out to be Colorado's toughest game. So it's partly a commentary on TCU and Nebraska, but it's also a commentary on the limitations that really do exist with this Colorado team. Undersized up front, you know, not having a whole lot of depth on defense. Like, you know, so – you know, this game really exposed Colorado. And as much as Dion is, you know, the, the the flavor of the month, like he went on 60 minutes on Sunday. He's done two 60 minutes interviews in two years. One when he was at Jackson State, one when he's at Colorado. Yeah. I mean, for 60 minutes, that's a little bit of overkill. Like, could we at least wait until Dion makes the college football playoff to do a second interview with him? You know, okay. It's called ratings, Matt. It's called ratings. Ratings. It's so I guess they're going to do a third interview with Dion when he if he makes the college football playoff uh, in a couple of years. Anyway, back back to the main story. So Colorado has been exposed. I mean, but they're three and zero, and because ASU and Stanford exist, and those are two horrible teams. Stanford because you know just everything's been hollowed out, and you have a coaching change. ASU has like twenty players hurt. And ASU is going to be playing the fourth string quarterback against USC this week. Good luck with that. Um, Colorado should be able to beat Stanford and, and Arizona State in its yep. sleep. Uh, and so right there you have five wins. So really, Colorado just needs to win one game against a middle-tier team in the Pac-12, and it's going to go to a bowl. And that's just a phenomenal year-one result. But what this Colorado State game did, Jason, it cooled off the talk of, Oh, this is a Pac-12 contender. No, no way. Uh, Colorado's going to get boat raced these next two weeks by Oregon and USC. And we're and we're yeah we're going to talk about that here in a second as they're as part of the big slate of kind of ranked matchups this week around the country. I want to get it. I want to talk coaching de coaching decisions. A couple things in that Colorado game, and then another decision in the Florida State Boston College game. First of all, Colorado Colorado State. Your Jay Norvell. You're about to pull off a big upset here and get all the national attention on you and off of Dion. You have two chances in this game to, to ice the game. One at fourth and two. You're up eight points at about the two-minute warning, and you don't go for it on Colorado's, what, 41, 42-yard line. 
how you don't go for it there. You're up eight. Even if you don't make it, they still have to go 60 yards, score, and make a two-point conversion. You have to go for it there on the road to try to ice the game. You don't do that. Shador Sanders goes 98 yards, makes the two-point conversion. Then in overtime, you've just absorbed a touchdown. Now you have another opportunity. You've scored quickly. You've got all the momentum, and you don't go for two there. I was stunned that he didn't go for go for the win in one of those two opportunities. I was stunned too. And so a couple things. First off, okay, first it's an in-state rivalry. Yes. So like it's a rivalry game. Like you should just be going for it just because it's a rivalry game. And we're here to win and we're here to be aggressive. You know, fire up your players. Just 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 on that con- in that context alone, you should be going for it. And you're so up eight part you're is, up eight and in no danger of losing the game in regulation. That's At right. Worst. That's time. right. That's right. Absolutely. That's that's another part. The other part, though, is, of course, all the smack talk during the week with right. Dion. Like, if you're talking smack, you're not going to back it up? You're going to start win. playing it safe? Like, that makes no sense. Right. And the third part is, like, if you take it to Dion, that's just a windfall for your recruiting and how you market your program. Yep. So, like, it's a selling point for what you're trying to do at Colorado State. Fourth is what you mentioned about the eight-point lead. Like, you're in absolutely no danger of losing the game in regulation. So, like, you have a certain degree of cushion, even if you fail. And the fifth point, and this is the most specifically tactical element of all this, Jason, just in terms of tactics, what had Colorado State been doing well all night long? Short passes. They were just dinking and dunking them to death with five-yard passes in the short flat, usually to the right side of the field, whether it was the tight ends, the running backs, the receivers, a a four- or five-yard pass to a guy running in space with a linebacker well out of position. Colorado never adjusted. Colorado was playing guys back and was playing guys deep. They were throwing underneath, never really adjusted. Like, that was just cash money. And you could have run the ball on fourth and you could have run the ball fourth and two as well. Well, you you could have, but like your your best play was a short pass, exactly what fourth and two is, and then a two point conversion would demand. Like that's your wheelhouse. Like it played to your strengths, and you're not doing it. That that's I mean, lots of things were stunning about those two acts of coaching cowardice by Jay Norvell, but that was the biggest one that short pass exactly what you do on fourth and two. Uh, you know, why wouldn't you didn't do it one more time? Just absolutely mind blowing. And the other one I want to go to is Florida state, Boston college, Jeff Hathley. They're, they're down 31 16 with about eight minutes to go in the game. They strip state. They, they, they strip the ball from the running back, run the ball in for a touchdown it's now 31-22, nine-point differential, eight minutes to go in the game. You cannot, I don't care how much you believe in it, at that moment, at eight minutes left in the game, you cannot go for two points there if you're Jeff Halfley. You have to kick the extra point to get within eight points to give yourself an opportunity where one more score can tie the game with a two-point conversion. You don't make it. You're down nine with eight minutes to go. And guess what you end up doing? You score another touchdown later. And now you can't tie the game. You're down nine, so you have to kick the extra point to get down two. They lose the game by two points. I think just ridiculous coaching by Jeff Halfley with eight minutes left in the game. Third quarter, you want to go for two? I can live with that. With eight minutes left in the game and minimal possessions, 
you have got to kick the extra point to get within eight points against a over when you're overmatched, which they are against Florida State. You know, I, I think that's a fair point. But I will say in this particular instance and with this part of, you know, the coaching calculus in general, you're going to have to get a two pointer at some point. So it's not when you don't make it the first time. That means you have to score two more times. Of course. But you will. But down 15, you need an eight and a seven. So you are going to need a two pointer at some point. So it's not as though like to me, Jason, just in terms of coaching philosophy and tactics, it's a lot worse when you chase a point midway through the game because yeah. there's so many more scenarios to yeah. play out over the remaining 10, 20, 40, whatever minutes. That is much worse than what happened did. Now, now I'm, I'm not saying like it's a it was a great call, but I'm saying you, you can certainly defend that decision. Not with eight minutes left in the game. Not with eight minutes left in the game, an indefensible decision. Because you're going to need eight points. You're going to need a, a snowman at some point. Yep. And he just wanted to go for it earlier. So, like, I'm not saying it's a great move, but, like, just in on the pecking order of really bad decisions, that's not the worst of the worst. Norvell, Norvell, Norvell gets the, the gold and the silver medal for sure on bad decisions. <laughs> we'll give Halfley the bronze. but That's no- fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. But I completely understand, like, you're trying to keep your team in the game. That's one of the things coaches need to do. And that up, when you make that move, you risk taking your team out of the game. No, the, the, All right. that, that point is clear. Let's get let, let's go back to the Pac-12. Get Talk about the strength and depth of the Pac-12. Eight in the top 25. What a year they have. And it's, it's so unfortunate. This is the last run for this conference. But, again, from top to bottom, you've got eight teams that are loaded you know, obviously you have a couple of weak teams with Arizona State and uh, Cal. Cal's actually not bad, but Stanford's really bad. Just talk about from Air Washington State and Oregon State. You got USC. You got Utah's good. UCLA's kind of laying in the weeds there a little bit. And talk about just the strength of the conference. Yeah, so a, n- a number of really interesting points. First off, you know, the, the conference went 29-5 and five in non-conference games. Uh, and of those five losses, two are by Arizona State, you know, which is a, a horrible team. And, and it's not a reflection on the coaching. It's that, you know, again, Arizona State has like almost two dozen people hurt. Full rebuild. Uh, and full rebuild. And full full rebuild. rebuild. And you also have a full rebuild at Stanford. They have a great 2024 yep. recruiting yep. class coming in. But this year, it's going to be a lot of pain and suffering. Right. So three of the five losses by the, you know, the two worst teams going through total rebuilds under first year coaches. The other two losses, Arizona taking Mississippi State to overtime yep. on the road. So, like, yep. that was a good, good performance. Yep. And then Cal outplayed Auburn but missed three field goals right. and lost by four points. So, like, there was not a single uh, non-conference game in which the Pac-12 really slipped on the banana peel, the possible exception being Cal. But, like, Cal did play better than Auburn for most of that night. Just Cal's field goal kicker sucked. Uh, like that was really the only bad moment from Pac-12 non-conference play. And so teams up and down the line were able to do their job, uh, most notably Washington State beating Wisconsin and yep. Luke Fickle. Yep. That was not expected to happen. And, uh, you know, other teams, you know, Colorado being the other obvious, you know, step-up team, the team that was better than expected as well. But now here, as here's the word of caution for the Pac-12. Like as, as good as the, these th- first three weeks were, now we get to conference season and 
what do we have a lot of in the Pac-12? We have quality quarterback play. Yes. And a lot of the Pac-12 teams that went unbeaten, and there are eight of them, as you mentioned, um, what what common thread runs through those eight teams? They have not played good quarterbacks. Right. Utah barely beat Baylor. Baylor had a backup quarterback. Right, right. Uh, you know, and uh, Washington certainly didn't face good quarterback play uh, against Michigan State. USC's played terrible teams. Stanford, also Nevada. Nevada yeah. lost by 27 at home to Idaho. Uh, you go you know, San Diego State, UCLA and Oregon State both beat San Diego State. San Diego State's offense is terrible. Right. So you go up and down the line in the conference. They that teams have not seen good quarterbacks. And so now they're going to go up against good quarterbacks, good offenses. And, you know, what what really is the best case scenario for the conference? Well, it's it's kind of complicated, but I would say that, you know, you definitely want four teams with 10 wins because yeah. last year the conference was able to get four teams with 10 wins. UCLA came really close but slipped on a, on a rake in the uh, Sun Bowl against Pitt. Would have made it five 10-win teams. So you want four 10-win teams, I would say. And then of those four 10-win teams, one of them finds a way to get into the playoff. I think that's basically what you're looking for if you're the Pac-12. And then you want teams, you know, five through eight to all get to decent bowl games, you know, win eight games or so. Like if you have if you have eight teams winning eight games, that's that's re that, that's really good. And that would be hard for any yes. other conference to match, especially since the SEC had such a bad non-conference run. So, like, you, you know that teams are going to beat a, beat each other up to a certain point, but obviously, you know, you want that win distribution to be balanced enough that everyone kind of shares in the riches. And then we, we, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to make that happen as a collective, you know, each team's on its own path, its own journey, but that really would be the best scenario for the Pac-12 uh, trying to plot this thing out the next two and a half months. Is is it better for the conference? I hate to say this that they that they don't cannibalize themselves. That two or three teams emerge to where they're gonna because you're not gonna get a two loss team in the playoff most likely. Nope. You want nope. a scenario where the best three teams, whether it's USC, whoever else, the other two teams you want to pick, get to ten and one, where the last week of the season you're almost guaranteed somebody's gonna get to the title game with only one loss, as opposed to them all beating each other and everybody ends up with two losses at the end, which is gonna knock them out. Yeah, like so if like if you have eleven and one USC against eleven and one Washington in the Pac twelve championship yes. game, and then you have a couple ten and two teams, or maybe, you know what? Maybe the if you have eleven and one USC against eleven and one Washington, that might mean that you get a one more nine and three team UCLA and one less or ten somebody, and two yep. team. You'll take that trade off if that's the price you have to pay. Okay, so we had only three ten win teams instead of four. Fine. If that's what it means, if that's what it takes to get two 11 and one teams to Las Vegas with the winner going to the college football playoff. Yeah, you definitely take that. And and just in terms of the playoff, I mean, you know, it's only September, but Correct. the Pac-12 had to like what ha had to like what it saw this past weekend with Texas. Yep. Stumbling against Wyoming. I mean, not losing, but like that really dialed down the hype about Georgia Texas. struggling, Georgia struggling. Uh, Bama also, struggling. Yeah, and and Florida State and Florida yeah. State as well. Like the idea that Florida State and Texas are both going to go unbeaten. That you know, the, 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 going into week three, ooh, that seemed like a really strong possibility. 
now it seems like a lot less of a possibility. Could still happen, but you'd put much lower odds on that happening uh, right now. And I would also say the SEC is almost certain to be a one-bid league. Right. Like Because Alabama, first, first off, with Alabama, and my, like my one major preseason prediction that some people might have disagreed with was that Alabama was going to lose at least three games. Well, I might have underestimated. I, yeah. I'm going to say Alabama loses at least four games. Wow. With yep. that offense. I was because, in – Go ahead. I was in the building Saturday against USF and their yeah, quarterback you're based play. In Tampa. That's their, right. Their quarterback play is pitiful and give give saving credit. He came out today on month. We're doing this on Monday night. He named Milrow the starter who didn't yes, play it all Saturday. It. He's yep. the best of the three, but he ain't great by any means. That's right. He's clearly the best, and he's just as clearly not all that special. Right. You, know, you compare him to Bryce Young, you compare him to yeah. Mac Jones, you compare him to Tua. Like, yeah. you know, he's well below that Alabama standard. Of the he's, past Blake so, he's Blake Sims. He's Blake Sims. I mean, yes, seriously, yes. that's what he, yeah. I mean, that's about what he is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Alabama is going to lose at least four times and LSU already has a loss. And of course, so beating Alabama is not going to have the same value this year that it would have in yep. previous seasons. So like it, it's looking very likely that, uh, the SEC is going to get just one team in. So really, if you're the Pac-12, you need tech, at least one of Texas one or loss. Florida State to stumble. Because like if those two teams get in, that really narrows the gap because you're going to have the Big Ten there. So yep. you have SEC, Big Ten, the, Texas, Florida State. That would lock the Pac-12 out, you know, unless the conference champion is 13-0. But that's not likely in a conference that this deep. The You know, if the Pac-12 does get in, it's going to be with a 12-1 and one conference champion. So you definitely need at least one of Texas or Florida State to lose. And if that happens, then the Pac-12 odds are pretty good because the strength of schedule is going to be very good for them compared to the Big 12 and the ACC. But I will say this. If Texas and Florida State can probably absorb one loss because going on the road and winning at Alabama, beating LSU on a neutral site, and they'll probably have beaten Clemson. So I think they can absorb one loss. They probably don't have to run the table, um, but but you can't lose twice. And to me, you, if USC or whoever comes out of the Pac-12 has one loss, that's going to be a hell of a debate if all those teams have one loss because you're going to have a Big Ten team with one loss, most likely because Penn State, Michigan – and Ohio State at some point are going to play each other, whether it's regular season or the Big Ten title game. That's right. Well, you know, so with Florida State, that's the interesting one because, you know, Texas winning at Alabama, that loss is going to get – I mean, that win is going to lose value over the Good. course of the season, Good. I think. Florida yep. State is the is the tougher uh, beating LSU study because that LSU win is probably going to retain value yep. uh, but Clemson already having lost to Duke, that's definitely favorable for the Pac-12. Because beating Clemson is not going to mean quite what it did. But if Florida State is 12-1 and one with wins over LSU and Clemson. Yeah, that's going to be a formidable resume. And then it would it would really come down to – And Miami. Washington. And you, have a, and you have a potential Florida State beating Miami and Flo- – I mean, I know Florida's not great, but – Miami Florida, has to prove itself, though, That's true. That's, that's that true. You're seen. right. But if they can get seen. to that game yes. with one loss yes. and Florida yeah. State can beat Miami. Yeah. Yes. No, 12 and 1 Florida State will be a problem for the Pac 12 if we right. get that scenario. No doubt about that. And then it would come down to do Washington, Oregon, Utah, right. do they USC. hold up their end of the bargain? Are they 10 win teams? Are they having strong seasons? Right. Because right. then, be, you know, going 2 and 1, 
remember, all four of those projected top teams, USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah, they all play each other. No skips. There are no gaps there. Yep. They all play each other. So if you go two and one against that threesome, you're going to make the Pac-12 championship game. And you're going to be in that mix for the conference title. If all those teams are really good, then going two and one against that trio looks good on paper. And then for USC specifically, USC has that road game at Notre Dame. And so if USC has a Notre Dame, Washington, and then either Oregon or Utah wins three, three high end wins yep. in its pocket, they're good. That, match, that can match up pretty favorably with Florida State 12 and one and having Clemson and LSU. And the, and you and the other like you make the great wild card team is Notre Dame. If they were to beat Ohio State but lose to yes. USC and run the table, then you got another set of debates that you got to weigh. And and that Notre Dame Clemson game yes. later in the year elimination like game. Florida Florida State's gonna really need Clemson, and you right. can, and USC is gonna really need Notre Dame right. to win that right. game. All right, two more things. We'll get you out of here. Look to the Matt Zemick, USA Today editor of Trojan Wire, covers all things USC as well as covers a lot of Pac-12 stuff. Um, give me the state of USC. Obviously, we know the prolific offense it's got with, with Caleb Williams and all the offensive. Again, they've played nobody, so you can't really measure what they're doing. Give me a synopsis of USC, especially defensively. Do you see a scenario where they can get through this schedule of the gauntlet of who they got plus Notre Dame? with one loss with the defensive woes that it looks like they still have. So, you know, much, much as what I was saying about the PAC 12 in general, it definitely applies to USC. Like USC hasn't played a good offense. USC hasn't faced a good quarterback yet. And so, you know, it, it really, we're going to find out a little bit against Shadur Sanders in Colorado yeah. uh, on September 30, but we're really going to find out like the first really big test is going to be against Notre Dame on October 14th, Sam Hartman in South Bend. Yep. Um, and so in light of this larger challenge, like USC has a really nasty backloaded schedule. The back end is really tough. Like USC is going to play Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, and Oregon. Four elite teams, or at least four projected elite teams. Where's the Was Where's practice. the Washington and Oregon game at? Washington game is in Los Angeles. The Oregon game's in Eugene at okay. Austin Stadium. But four really tough games in five weeks. And USC is going to need to win three of those four really tough games to, to be in the playoff hunt. And, and real quick, real quick, news. real quick. Didn't I see they don't have a bye till the end of the year, too? They play like 11 straight games or something like that? Yeah, so they were off this weekend, and now they play nine straight weeks through wow. November 18th. Wow. Yes. So the that that's the bad news. It's a backloaded schedule without any rest breaks. That's the bad news. But the yep. good news is... You know, Arizona State, as I mentioned, that's their next opponent. That's a layup. Um, Arizona that's a layup. State has like almost two, Arizona State has like almost two dozen players injured. Like that's just that's going to be another basically a preseason game. Yeah. Like these first three games against San Jose State, Nevada, and Stanford, they're basically preseason games. And the USC staff, and I talked about this on my USC show uh, on YouTube uh, in the off season, but like. The first half of the season is all about, you know, giving a, a large workload to the backups and, and the second and third stringers, giving your freshmen a lot of playing time and doing some program building and trying to create depth um, and making sure that your starters have a minimal workload yep. going into the Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, Oregon gauntlet. So the reality attached to Arizona State being, you know, completely hollowed out by injuries, 
USC basically gets another week in which to just rotate bodies. Like USC does not need to lean on its starters for this Arizona State game. Uh, uh, you know, and against Colorado, Colorado won't have Travis Hunter, and that that's a huge loss. Um, that that game might be tricky for USC. You know, it's going to be an early game. It's going to start just after 10 a.m. Is it really? Is that, is that the big? Is that going to be the Fox it's game? Fox Big Noon Saturday. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yep. So 9 a.m. game uh, Pacific time for those yep. body clocks at USC. That might be a little tricky, but without Travis Hunter, like that's it's going to be hard for Colorado to win that game. So and then there, there's Arizona on October 7th. So like USC right now, USC really does seem to have three more weeks, three more weeks in which it can rest its starters, yep. rotate players. And so you're having to play nine straight weeks, right? You need to keep your starters fresh. Right. You need to have enough fuel in the tank for the bigger games later in the season. And so one of the big questions entering this season was, would USC be able to keep its guys fresh in the first six games so that they'd be ready physically for the last six games? Right. So far, that's very much on course. This coaching staff has been good about just evenly distributing the snap counts. That needs to continue for the next few weeks. And if so, USC can overcome, uh, you know, just the logistical difficulty of having to play nine straight weeks. Most of those weeks against really good teams. Once we get into mid-October. No, that's, that's, that's excellent. That's an excellent point. Cause they've got a gauntlet. They've got to go through. And again, that conference is going to be rough and, you know, with Penix doing what he's doing at Washington, obviously we got uh, Oregon who we know that's going to be strong with Knicks and Lanning and all those guys. And it's going to be key and we will need to go into it in depth, but where these PAC 12 games are at is going to be huge in Autzen, in Seattle, yeah. in the Coliseum home field advantage will be critical in these matchups in the PAC 12. Yep, let's go through even, that. Even like even was even Wazoo and Oregon State are t tricky places to go play for these yeah. warm weather teams. Yeah, let's just briefly hit on that because that's a great topic. Uh, since Pac-12 conference play is starting this this weekend, you have three games involving two top twenty-five teams playing each other. You know, ranked team versus ranked team. Colorado, Oregon is ranked versus ranked team. Yep. Oregon State, Washington State, ranked yep. versus ranked. And UCLA, Utah, ranked team versus ranked team. So three yep. showcase games, all with the top 25. Uh, one thing that could really help USC over the course of this season, USC does not play either Oregon State or Washington State. Right. Utah has to play Oregon State. Oregon has to play Oregon State. Washington has to play Oregon State. USC does not. That right. could make the difference in terms of who gets to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game and who doesn't, um, you know, and, and Oregon is really in the tricky spot in terms of home versus road. Oregon has to go uh, to Washington on October 14, then it has to go to Utah to Salt Lake city on October 28. Now Oregon does get USC at home, but remember when I talked about, you know, all four of the top teams playing each other. So Oregon's a team that has to play two of those three big games away from home. USC's getting two of those three games at home. Washington's getting two of three at home. Um, Utah uh, is uh, getting is playing two of the three on the road. Utah is at Washington uh, and at USC and gets Oregon at home. So if just for the, that scheduling piece, that's the division in terms of who's getting two out of three at home, who's getting right. two out of three 
on the road in those high-end Pac-12 games that are going to decide the conference title. All right, just a snapshot in time. And I'll hold you to it. We can put it in pencil. Who Through three weeks, who's the best team in the Pac-12 today? Today, it's Washington. Washington's okay. just been brutalizing folks left and right and has played tougher opponents than USC. Uh, but USC looks good on you know in terms yep. of just doing what an elite team is supposed to do. Like, you, you should – be up 49-3 at halftime against Stanford. So USC's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. But Washington's played, had a higher degree of difficulty, although not by a lot. Like Michigan State doesn't look good, but Michigan State's better than Stanford. So you go Washington 1, USC 2. Um, and then you you might make Oregon State third. That defense looks really nasty. Yeah. Uh, and then Utah, that Florida win looks a lot better for Utah yeah. after what the Gators did to Tennessee. All right, so I'm going to put you on the I'm gonna put you on the clock here. We're going to get to a couple of predictions here and get you out of here. We've got a bunch of big matchups. I know you do some work with uh, Big Ten coverage and stuff. And also, Matt is part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast feed, which part is my Florida Football Insiders podcast is part of that. Matt's uh, Get Off My Pylon is also a part of that podcast feed. So definitely check out the Get Off My Pylon podcast that Matt uh, highlights and takes and hosts every week. Again, College Grid College. Coast to Coast Gridiron, College Gridiron, Coast to Coast podcast feed is the place you can find a bunch of different podcasts from all over the country. I do one in Florida. Matt handles the West Coast. We got one on the Service Academies, the ACC. A lot of great uh, podcast information on that platform. So definitely check it out. All right, tell me who, who give me a winner. No, no in depth. Just give me a winner. Or Oregon, Colorado. Is it even competitive? It's not competitive. Oregon. All right. Give me uh, Oregon State, Washington State, Oregon State. Okay, that's at what is that at is yeah, that at it's Wazoo? In Coleman. It's in wow. Coleman, I okay. believe. Yeah. All right, and then give me uh, who you you tell me USC and who this UCLA, uh, in, UCLA in, in, in at Salt Utah. Lake City, in UCLA Salt Lake at City. Utah. Give me the use. Uh, Cam is, Rising probably is going to play. Don't know that for sure, but uh, like he he should be healthy by now. Um, so uh, assuming he plays what Utah definitely will be UCLA death Valley and Clemson, Florida state heads to Clemson, Florida state. I, I agree. And then the big one in South bend, you got the showdown have Ohio state hasn't been there. I think 30 years, something like that. Notre Dame, Ohio state. Again, Notre Dame's got some guys back, Sam Hartman. You finally got a quarterback situation, a little bit stabilized at Ohio state with McCord. Who do you like in South bend? Okay. First off, I don't have a strong feel about this game, but if you if you said you got to pick one, I'm going to pick Notre Dame because of the veteran quarterback. I'm and with you. That that position's going to decide it, and it's in South Bend. I do. I agree. Night game at South Bend. I like Sam Hartman in that spot. Three starters coming back for for Notre Dame. I'm with you. I like Notre Dame in a close one, but a very good game against Ohio State. Well, Matt Zemick, tell everybody where you can find all your great work about USC. Again, we mentioned the Get Off My Pylon podcast. Tell, tell the audience all the other great stuff that you're doing. Yeah, so I'm at trojanswire.usatoday.com on Twitter at trojanswire. And uh, one of the special pieces I wrote uh, this week is that how bad th have things gotten for Nick Saban at Alabama? A former USC defensive coordinator who failed – Big time under Orlando. Clay Helton. His, Todd, name's, Todd his name's Orlando. Todd Orlando. Yes. Todd Orlando was able to stop a Nick Saban offense. So that story is up at Trojans Wire if you want to check it out. All right. Give me last thing I'll get you out of. I just thought of this. Give me 30 seconds on what's the status of Bronny James at this point, mid mid September. Uh there's there's no like specific report timetable laid out. Right. 
but you know the 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 James family released a statement expressing confidence that he would be able to play relatively soon. Now the measuring stick here is that Vince Iwuchukwu, you know, went through the same thing that Bronny did, and that and Vince Iwuchukwu, you know, a five star freshman last year, he suffered cardiac arrest in July. So Bronny James, same thing. It's yeah. the same timetable. Both happened in July. So if you remember, Iwuchukwu came back. He joined the team. Uh, playing a game on January 12th. Okay. So if Iwu Chukwu is the benchmark, then Bronny James would come back, you know, a January. little bit after the new year. Uh, and so it's going to be up to Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis yeah. uh, to do the heavy lifting in the first month of the season. USC playing Kansas State in the opener on November 6th yeah. and Gonzaga on December 2nd. USC absolutely needs to win at least one of those two games in order to live up to the enormous expectations placed on that team this season. And are you very confident that Dan Lanning and Lincoln Riley have given the opportunity you're going to try to run it up on Dion the next two weeks? Uh, I think they're just going to try and manage their teams, okay. especially USC playing a 9 a.m. Pacific okay. time game. Uh, like They're thinking about winning the Pac-12 championship, not you. so much sticking it in Dion's eye. Keep in mind, they're not going to be coaching against Dion next year when Colorado is in the Big 12 but they will be recruiting against them. Yes, they will. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Matt Zemick, awesome job, man. Great analysis on, on all things college football, Pac-12, obviously, and keep up the great work. And we will ha definitely have you on as we progress through this mega Pac-12 season. The cannibalization, hopefully it doesn't, you know, hopefully it works out that we can get the Pac-12 in a playoff scenario late November, unlike they've had in years past. So we definitely want to see the drama of so many great quarterbacks and teams and uh, keep up the great work at Trojan Wire and we'll be in touch real soon, okay? Thank you, and have fun covering that big Florida State-Clemson game. You got it. All right, we'll be right back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.